Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, the beautiful spring weather continues. Yeah, I'm taking advantage of it, Steve. I, you know, most folks that listen to this show know that you're a big golfer, right? Right, and, um, right, right. Love they, it. They don't hear me talking about golf too often because I'm not. Right. I enjoy it, but I'm just not very good. So I took a lesson recently, and um, one of the most, I've taken a couple lessons over time, and um, this guy did not work on my swing at all. He didn't? At all. Zero, which was I kind of liked because <laughs> you take four or five lessons and you have yeah, three yeah. things to work on from every lesson. And So he sit down and start talking about the psychological part of he, golf he, first? The mental, yeah. He, it was the mental and um, you know, having a routine and so forth. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I liked it. I, I, I left there. I'm like, I'm excited about golf again. Man, that you know? dude is smart. That hey, guy... I liked his approach. I really did. It so was he, very unique. So he sold the mental approach. He that's did. Awesome. He did because he looked at my swing. He's like, I can't fix you. <laughs> <laughs> he said, That's Charles Barkley. I can't fix that. <laughs> Here, so, I think I'm Hank Haney, anyway, Haney or something. I've got a new attitude on on my golf, you know, vision. I love here, it. So. Yeah. Well, you're a lot better golfer than you let on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I have no doubt that a few lessons you can. Yeah, we'll you see. can be striping it. So. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's great. That's great. Good to hear, too. I mean, that's a drop the mic kind of thing. John's getting lessons. That's right. Watch out. Watch out. I'll give you updates periodically. I'd like to hear it. I'd like to hear (laughs) it. Yeah, but yeah, we're just continuing on through spring here, you know, and it's been great. I mean, the market's been doing well. We've had a great start to the year. Um, First quarter was fantastic. And, you know, we're starting off with a decent, we've had a decent, you know, April April here so far. It's not knocking it off the charts, but hanging in there. And, um, you know, we got some great topics to talk about, too. I mean, we're talking about the false money stories that we tell ourselves. Mm, yeah, these um, are good. Yeah, they are. I mean, this is like, you know, I mean, everybody kind of has money beliefs that they have. They're kind of deeply ingrained in them, you know, that comes from their experiences or life lessons. They're, you know, things that happened when they were a kid or things that happened whenever they were young adults. And but it affects your your behavior for years and years later. You know, and it's kind of in the subconscious, you know, unless you sit down and really analyze why you do certain things. So this is a really telling, I think it's a, it's a, it's a guy that has a degree in psychology here and, uh, you know, it's a good story from the bottom line. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, it digs deeper into your motives behind mm. what you do with money. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Money doctors are turning into psychologists. Yes, we are. Yeah. We're psych yeah. money doctors there this week. Watch I it, love it. Watch it. And then we're going to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about long-term care insurance. And Steve, the industry is uh, is a mess and has been for a number of years. Uh, long-term care is very expensive, um, can be very confusing as well. So we're going to go through and kind of talk about the basics a little bit. And, um, you know, we, we do have clients that um, are self-insured and we'll kind of walk through that scenario and what that looks like. But it's a right. good it's a good topic, interesting topic, uh, certainly impacts uh, a lot of people, certainly as they go into retirement. Absolutely. Very, very important. So that'll be a great topic. Yeah. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey Certified Counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. Yeah, we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. We're up every Friday afternoon on our website. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. Uh, Also, a lot of tools. Um, 
some good budgeting software out there, some uh, planning tools people use periodically. And uh, check out our Facebook. If you didn't see Sarah last week, um, Sarah is our nerdy free spirit. Mm-hmm. Her She's uh, funny. post, yeah, uh, she um, she she brought it to the house. So go check out Facebook. Yeah, that's right. We'd love to hear from you. You can link to us there on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We will talk about those right here on the show. And, John, that leads us up here to our financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is truly amazing. 40 years ago, the average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, uh, this is now back in 1981, was 18.6%. Yikes, 18%. Yeah, Yeah. now it's like, uh, you know, it's a little bit over three as of uh, last week, and so sources from Freddie Mac. And um, yeah, you know, Steve, I mean, the housing uh, has boomed. I mean, it's just amazing how well yeah. that area of the economy is doing. And, and at some point, when interest rates rise and get back up into the fours, fives, sevens, you know, I don't know if it get get to seven anytime soon, but that definitely has an impact on the buying power. I mean, if you think about how much oh, house definitely. you can buy at three percent versus eighteen percent, eighteen enormous. I was gonna say, I mean, what would a you know four hundred thousand dollar mortgage be at eighteen percent over thirty years? My goodness, that would be not affordable. That would not be affordable exactly. So yeah. it's uh, you'd be looking at a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. So yeah, you know, interest rates are super low. If you haven't refinanced, take a look at that. Um, it, you know, if you're Above four percent, it may be worth looking at and, and making a change because interest rates will not stay low forever. No, they won't. I just saw the thirty-year rate still down in the low threes. So, um, you know, I mean, that's, the rates are still great out there. So, don't let that opportunity pass you by if you haven't refinanced recently. So, um, yeah, good fact of the week. Okay, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and this is the false money stories that we tell ourselves. And, John, this is based off of a great article um, from Bottom Line, Inc., uh, Brandon Klontz, who's also a psychologist, I guess, or a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and a certified financial planner. And so, but, John, yeah, I mean, today we're going to dig deep into the psychological beliefs mm. about money. We're going to pretend that we're psych money doctors. Oh, there you go. There you go. Right. Because, you know, what you believe about money, it makes a big difference in how it influences your life and your happiness and even your success over time. And people have very different core beliefs about money, and it kind of influences how they handle money and how they respond to it. Um, Some people focus on saving, others on spending. You know, some are driven to earn as much as possible. Others, you know, putting the maximum amount in their paychecks, um, you know, on the kind of kind of maximizing their paychecks kind of low on their priority list. So they don't worry about it. Some people share money freely with their loved ones and charities. Other people kind of hate to give away a dime, you know. I mean, so everybody has these different philosophies about money. What's widely misunderstood is why people have their money habits and therefore how to change them. Spenders are not necessarily less responsible than savers, for example, and people who give generously to charity are not necessarily more compassionate than those who don't. So the way people interact with money often stems from, you know, the stories that they have uh, created and they tell themselves uh, about what money means, their perceptions, assumptions. Uh, they tend to be oversimplifications at best and uh, a lot of times just completely inaccurate at worst, but uh, they're based on life experiences and, and core fears. So, you know, examples of some possible money stories are money equals success or, or money is the main source of security. And we know those are not those are not true. That's right. Not not true. Not completely true for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, usually people tell themselves the same money story 
or a group of stories their, their whole lives. You know, often beginning back in childhood, you know, they might have been formed by their financial lives and attitudes of their parents or by a specific money-related event that might have happened early on, um, such as, you know, a major financial setback by the family. Um, you know, but these money beliefs become so deeply ingrained in our thinking that, you know, people never really question their accuracy or they don't realize how deeply the stories are shaping their own financial choices. Um, so we're going to dig into this. You know, most people's money stories fall into kind of one of two categories, um, you know, in the, well, really the f- four of the following categories, one of two of these following categories, mm-hmm. which kind of brings it down to its own set of problems. Um, but the first category is people tend to believe that money will solve all their problems. Um, that's one category that some people believe, you know, so stories here include things like, you know, more money will make me happier or money is power and it's hard to be poor and happy. Um, you know, certainly money can solve a lot of problems, but people who live by these stories, they take it too far. And no matter how much they have, they believe that, you know, that the life they desire requires even more. And evidence, though, suggests otherwise, you know, although cost of living does vary widely across the country. In general, once an annual household rises above a certain level, um, additional earnings tends not to bring more happiness. According to a, a study back about 10 years ago by a Nobel Prize winning psychologist, um, what they found was that um, about $87,000 today adjusted for inflation, John, that number today is kind of the level to where having more doesn't really necessarily bring you happiness um, mm. or doesn't increase your happiness. So believing that money will solve most of your problems can turn people into kind of workaholics who, you know, opt to spend long hours in the workplace or even when they, you know, derive greater benefits from spending more relaxing time, exercising or socializing. Um, or playing golf. Or playing golf. There you go. You know, See, having I'm thinking fun. golf now. I love that. I love that about <laughs> you, man. This psychologist is working. Yeah, I like that's it. It's good. But yeah, that's that's one money money thought. But here's another one. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of people just view money as bad and, and money stories fall into this category that, you know, rich people are greedy and, and money corrupts and it's not okay to have more than you need. Uh, good people, you know, should not care about more money and, and living with a little money or as a minimalist is virtuous. And so, you know, people who subscribe to stories such as these often feel guilty about having money. And so for some people, you know, this guilt may encourage them to give away more money than they should and or, you know, discourage them from taking the necessary steps to plan for retirement and be careful with what they've been given. So for some people, considering money is bad as a way to rationalize why they don't have very much of it. So a significant percentage of people who believe money bad uh, also wish they were rich. <laughs> That's interesting yeah. little, little right. counter. You yeah, know? yeah. It's interesting how these kind of equate to their <clears throat> core yeah. beliefs over time. And so another money story that um, that people fall in this category of is money equals status. So stories here include things like money is what gives life meaning, you know, or poor people don't deserve to have money, um, you know, or your your self-worth is equal to your net worth. Um, people who tell themselves these type of stories um, put a priority on appearing wealthy over actually being wealthy. So they would splurge on, you know, flashy luxury goods or large homes that they really can't afford. 
And they often brag about, you know, their incomes or hefty amounts they paid maybe for the latest gadgets. Um, and they might exaggerate when they when they do these things. You know, they're prone to accumulating credit card debt and hiding their spending from their spouses, you know, according to this this author. So, you know, they're not not greatly concerned about their overspending and their lack of savings. They believe wealth comes um, wealth will come their way because they deserve it mm. over time. Yeah. So that's the way that money story goes. And then the other category of money stories is money must be saved, not spent. Um, yeah. So this category, you know, of money story includes things like, you know, the best use of money is to set it aside for a rainy day or in the future. And you really shouldn't spend much, even if you have plenty, because you never know when you'll need it or things could change such that you could run out. So people who live by these money stories generally consider it improper to talk about how much money they have or, or even how much they make, even with their kids. Um, you know, they're more likely to be in great financial shape than people who fall in the other categories of money stories, but they're rare, they rarely can enjoy their success. And these people tend to feel anxious about their financial futures regardless how prepared they are. And they might, you know, be even so adverse to spending that they can't even spend money on things that they plan for and save for their entire lives. So in the end, they convince themselves that they don't need it and maybe they really can't afford it. So it really yeah. is paralyzing. Yeah, and that's where a retirement plan kind of gives you freedom, right? You you, right. you know you can spend it because it um, you kind of gone through a process. So, you know, in addition to these four money types and the the different type of stories and and things that you think about, there's another crucial dis distinction that may determine someone's attitude towards money. And some people's beliefs make them take uh, responsibility for their financial results, while other people's stories blame external forces for the results, even when it's obviously their own fault, uh, especially when things go wrong. So as an you know, example would be credit card debt is blamed on unluck unlucky life events and, and greedy credit card companies, not on overspending. So uh, people who blame outside forces tend not to experience long-term financial success. They, they rarely take responsibility. So they fail to figure out, you know, where they went wrong and, and, and how not to repeat that. And, you know, Dave Ramsey always says, you know, the, the, the person that's the issue is in the mirror. I mean, that's so right. taking responsibility is, is a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that's a key. That's a key to changing your behavior. That's for sure. So the question is, how do you rewrite your money story, right? How do you change the story? The most important step in overcoming the unhelpful money story like this is to first become aware of it. You know, money stories are so ingrained in people that they often uh, find it difficult to, to even see them. Um, you may, you know, have recognized yours, you know, in earlier descriptions. Um, but if you're not sure, I mean, ask your spouse or ask somebody who knows you well for some input, you know, about about how you handle your money or how they perceive you to handle your money. And then you have some comfort, you know, um, uh then you'll have some comfort that your money story, um, what it is, and you can adopt a more balanced, more accurate, and more financially you know, beneficial money belief. So here are some steps to get started for that. First one is to search for the source of the story. You know, most money stories date back to your childhood. Um, you know, yours might be a reaction to some financial circumstances of your childhood. You know, a copy of a money story uh, believed by one of your parents, perhaps, that you 
are emulating or uh, the polar opposite, you know, might be a response to your, your parents' money story, kind of the polar opposite of that. But also then admit that your money story cannot be 100% right 100% of the time, right? I mean, there, you know, there might be an, an element of truth in your money story, but if the story um, is the way you, if this story is the way you really see the world, I mean, there certainly are times when it's not 100% right. Yeah, another really important thing here is to modify your, your social circles and, and reading material uh, to include, include, you know, other money stories. Uh, people tend to surround themselves with friends who have similar beliefs uh, or they avoid talking about money matters with friends. And they, they tend to seek out, you know, publications that confirm what they already believe about money and uh, dismiss or ignore those that don't. So, you know, seek out opposing views to broaden your perspective. And, and rather than trying to shoot down their opinions, adopt that attitude. Maybe there, there is something wrong with, with your kind of point of view. Again, you know, the Ramsey organization, their podcast, go, go listen to that. It's a different way of thinking about money for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so the last step is to create a money mantra that contradicts the errors in your money story or that better reflects your values. You know, think up of a sentence or two that calls out the flaws in your, your money belief um, and points you toward a more helpful financial belief system. You know, workaholics mantra might be, I love my kids, I love my wife, I love my friends, you know, I worked enough today and, you know, right now is the best time to, to be with my loved ones. Um, you know, the mantra for someone who believes money is bad might be money is neither good nor bad. It all depends on what we do with it. I'll try to acquire money so I can use it for good. Um, you know, that t- type this mantra into your smartphone or write it on a card that you keep in your wallet. Um, you know, but but read it, you know, in situations where your money story encourages you to in, engage in the useful financial behaviors and and not in the the false beliefs that you've had that have shaped you up to this point. Um, so you know, and if you if you adopt that mantra soon, you know it will just pop into your mind automatically. You won't have to you won't have to keep reading it. So, but you know, those are the steps for kind of changing your money story and getting yourself on a more constructive path mm-hmm. to your financial future. That's good. So there you go. All right, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. So, Steve, I got a question for you. Dogecoin, I know you're getting left and right, um, you know, all these cryptocurrencies, uh, cyber currencies. Is it time to, to to put some money into it? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know, I mean, um, here early this week, I looked and Dogecoin was up 300% in the past two weeks. It nice. was just unbelievable, <laughs> you know, but it's amazing. You know, I mean, there, there have been plenty of times throughout history where people tend to go jump into investing in something that they call it an investment, but they're simply just kind of chasing their fear of, of losing out their fear of missing out yeah. on, you know, something that's doing fantastic. And they'll jump into something that has no basis for gains. And we've seen that recently, you know, I mean, there's, you know, these cyber currencies that have been going up now for years, for several years. And, and there's no doubt that a well-placed bet can do really well. You know, you can make a lot of money. Yeah. Off of, you can go to Vegas and yeah, make a lot right. of money. Yeah. No doubt. That's if you're, like gambling. But it is gambling. That's right. It's a bet. It is gambling. And, you know, when you look at something like Dogecoin, which was 
created as a joke mm-hmm. and it has no basis. And in fact, the algorithm is written to make it worthless. The algorithm has been designed so that it increases the supply over time to the point that it's worthless. It was, it wasn't a serious, it wasn't even a serious cyber currency. So you're not saying it should be shorted then? <laughs> well, I don't think you can short Dogecoin. I don't know how oh, you do my that. Goodness. Yeah, it is gambling. Mean, people say it's that market crazy. is like gambling. And when you do this kind of stuff, it is. I mean, mutual funds over long periods of time, uh, has worked very well, and so if you want to go and take a hundred bucks or five hundred bucks and right. go do that, then have at it. But leave the majority of your money alone. Yeah, leave the majority <laughs> of money alone. The, the 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 risk in this type of endeavor is is unlimited, and um, you know, someday the the bubble's going to pop. You may have more fun getting that five hundred dollars and just tossing it out the window and see what the cars do behind you. <laughs> that could be you interesting. Might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. So I mean, yeah, I mean, there's. Obviously, some people are making a lot of money on, you know, these coins and, and cyber currencies that are skyrocketing, you know, or GameStop or anything else, you know, that we bring up that has gone nuts. But um, it doesn't last forever. So certainly don't put any serious money in it. Yep. You know, it's it's got to be just entertainment at this point. That's our feeling about Dogecoin. Yes. So, good question of the week. All right. That leads up here to our next topic, and that is long-term care. Yeah, this is an article from the uh, Swab organization. And, you know, Steve, we get these questions. I mean, there are millions of Americans who are approaching their retirement years. And, you know, at the heart of the issue is the fact that long-term care can uh, be quite expensive. Um, and so can long-term care insurance. And as we mentioned in the uh, opening, the, the long-term care industry is a mess. Um, policies historically have been under priced and so there are lots of price increases that are happening continuously right. and and so you know how much coverage do you need um do you really need it some folks are self-insured and we'll we'll cover that in a minute but here are a couple of important questions that you need to ask yourself to evaluate whether long-term care insurance is is uh, right for you and your family yeah that's right so the first question people ask is you know will you need long-term care well and I mean, that's a tough question, and, and certainly at what level is another question that you have to answer because um, it's hard to know. I mean, uh, you know, and it depends on certain activities that you can't do, um, you know, assistance with things such as bathing, dressing, eating, um, you know, as people have physical decline and cognitive decline. Um, statistics show that most of us will need some help with those things. So as that definition of long-term care, certainly you might need long-term care. According to the longtermcare.gov, about 70% of people 65 or older will need long-term care at some point during their lives, and women even more so um, than men, 79% versus 58% respectively. However, though, um, you know, this care is usually only a few months. It isn't for years and years where it would really necessitate buying some kind of policy to cover that. Um and so uh, it's kind of rare that somebody needs it for a lot of years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Another question they ask is, well, how much does the long-term care cost? And according to uh, Genworth Financial, a 2020 uh, survey, um, you know, the, the the results were pretty sobering. For instance, the current median annual cost for assisted living is a little bit over 50000 So if you have an in-home health aid, it's about 55000 and if you have a private room uh, room in a nursing home, it's about 105000 So obviously it depends on where you live in the country. But, I mean, I'll just tell you in the CSRA, my, my grandmother several years ago lived in an independent facility. It was fifty grand. Um, so when you start to evaluate this, if you have 
done your retirement plan and you have 150 of income. Right. Some people do that with pensions and Social Security and a million dollars of investments. In some cases, you can make a case that they are self-insured because that 150 right. part of that can be used for the for the cost associated with it. So you got to look at your own situation. But you know, uh, memory care in this area is you know 70 to 75 thousand. So it depends on where you live around the country. But those are the the cost in this area. Yeah, right. It's certainly not insignificant. Very very expensive in general. Um, but the real question you have to ask yourself, too, is how much can you rely on family support for helping you with that that care? In the vast majority, according to the study, 80% of long-term care is provided at home by unpaid family members and friends. Um, but before you can rely on this option, you know, think about the emotional and financial toil having that kind of care could take on your loved ones, and even if they're willing to help. So... You know, in fact, that's why a lot of people do choose to buy insurance. Um, but insurance sure. isn't isn't an automatic solution either. Yeah. So how much does it, it cost? I mean, as with most insurance, it really depends on there's a lot of factors, um, you know, the, the type of coverage, the amount of coverage, the length, um, your age, you know, gender, overall health. Um, but the general rule of thumb is it should not, um, you know, exceed 7% of your monthly expenses. I mean, I'll tell you when we when we see policies out there today. I mean, a, an inexpensive policy is three thousand a month. Excuse me, three thousand a year, a year. A year. Mm-hmm. doesn't provide a lot of benefit. So you can certainly easily get up in the five to seven thousand a year cost for these policies, and that's very expensive. And sometimes it doesn't cover a significant amount. Yeah, and then I've heard statistics before that it was only about a one in ten chance that you would actually use that policy. You'd be in a facility long enough to actually be able to use the policy. Um, so, uh, you know, so that kind of tells you, I mean, it's not, if you spend all that money, it may not, you may yeah, not get may not to use back. it, may not be able to use it right. So, but even if you can afford a long-term care policy, you may not qualify, you know, un, unlike health insurance, pre-existing conditions such as progressive neurological conditions or a recent stroke can affect your eligibility. And um, according to the the Association for, you know, long-term care insurance, roughly half of applicants age 75 and older were denied coverage in 2019 compared with about a third of those 65 to 69. So there's a significant chance you yep. may not be able to get it. Yeah. And then, um, you know, what age should you consider it? I mean, Dave Ramsey recommends 60. Um, he's very, very adamant on that pretty good age. You can be a couple years before that, a couple years after. A lot of this happens, uh, you know, the, um, uh, you know, consideration is health. Um, you know, premiums go up the older that you are and the less healthy you are. So, um, you know, I mean, 50 is to me a little young. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, you know, in the 60, uh, early 60s is good and maybe late 50s as well. So you got to explore your options. Again, you know, we work with folks on determining if they need long-term care insurance. So if you have a question, uh, of where you are in your situation, the key is is if you if you carve out sixty thousand from your current income, is the spouse that's left over going to be okay? Will they be able to live on what's left over? If you have a hundred twenty thousand dollar income and you're using sixty for one person, that leaves sixty for the other person. So, you know, if you have a mortgage and you have other debt, then that sixty may not be enough. But if you have everything paid off, it it could be. So. Kind of a you know evaluate it. Look at your retirement plan. We do have a connection uh, with long-term care. Um, it's a it's a, a company 
that we can connect you with if you do have questions. Yeah, that's right. Medicaid is always another option, that, uh, a question that people have. Yes. And so if you don't have substantial assets, then, you know, there's a good possibility if you go into a facility that that you would spend down your assets quickly and then you'd qualify for Medicaid and Medicaid would pay for the long-term care um, coverage. So that's another thing to consider. So if somebody that, that doesn't have substantial assets, I would not recommend typically going and buying a policy and spending that kind of money. Right. So, um, so there's a lot to consider there, but give me, give us a call if we can help you with that and uh, help you think through those questions. So good topic. And that leads up here to our final topic, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. So part of our role, um, Steve, is, you know, as we talk with, with clients is helping them determine, um, you know, a good age to retire. And, and most people want to retire sooner than later, but not everybody. And, and um, sometimes the strategy is, you know, working another year or two or three makes a significant difference in the income. So if you need more income, maybe delaying your retirement by a year. I mean, you can have, you know, eight to 10% more income if you do that because social security is building, your 401k is building, you're adding to your 401k. So, you know, that's always an option. If you need additional income when you do your retirement plan and that number that pops out is not enough, then you may have to delay it for a year or two. Um, If you delay it three years, your income could be 25% higher. So, some different options that you have as you get closer, you know, to, to retirement. It really is based on the amount of income you need. Yeah. Delaying it makes a huge difference because not only do your assets continue to grow if they're invested properly, but also your pensions tend to get higher. Your Social Security gets higher. You have less years that it needs to cover in retirement. Um, so you have all those factors that are working in your favor. So one or two years can make a big difference. Yes, it can. Yeah. So good point. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Do turn in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.